this morning, we're going to start a new sermon series that will last two weeks, today and next week, talking about money. Now, one of the things about money is that it's neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's neutral. But what we do with it can be either good or bad. The influence we allow it to have in our life can be either good or bad. The way our choices regarding money are made can be either good or bad. And all of us can think of good things that we do and others do with money, whether it's helping someone in need, paying bills, having fun in a positive way. There are a lot of good things we do with money. But it's equally true there are a lot of bad decisions people make regarding money. There are a lot of wrong things we do because we have money, with money. And money can bless, but money can also hurt. For these two weeks, I want us to look at some of the ways the Bible teaches us that we can use money in a way or we can allow money to have, a, have an influence in our life that, that really ends up hurting us. And there are some of you in this room who are carrying around the scars, who are living with the wounds of hurts created by decisions people made because of money. There are times when money and what we do with it, how we think about it, there are times when money doesn't make life better, but it actually makes life worse. Because most of us go through life thinking, if I just had more money, everything would be better. But the truth is, money sometimes can make life worse. And so we're going to look at a couple of passages the next two weeks that bring this out and help us understand some of the ways money hurts and it makes life worse. And today, the story that we're going to learn from is found in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And a little background to fully appreciate and and understand all that is in this story is in Jesus' time, when a father died and his sons received the inheritance, the firstborn son received a double portion. So if he had two sons, the firstborn would get two-thirds, the secondborn one-third. If he had four sons, the first one would get two-fifths, and the other three would get one-fifth. So the firstborn son, the oldest, always received a double portion. Normally, then, as today, children received the inheritance when their father died. The father on his own could choose to give it to them early and occasionally would, but it was rare, and a son would never ask his father for it because to do so would be rude and selfish. You also need to understand that Jews don't eat pork. Now, you know that. They don't like pigs because in the Old Testament law of Moses, Pigs, swine, were unclean animals, and if you ate that meat, you were religiously, ceremoniously unclean, impure, and would have to go through a very specific religious ritual to be right with God again. And so not only would they not eat swine, they would not have anything to do with them. They wouldn't care for them. They wouldn't touch them. They didn't want to be anywhere around them. And in this story, Jesus talks about pods that were fed to swine. There's an evergreen that grows in the Mediterranean region, and it has a fruit on it, if you will, that looks similar to peas, those of you who have ever grown peas in your garden. And when those dry out, as the ones on the right, uh, they fall to the ground, and those would be eaten by animals. They would be fed to swine. 
And, and some people will roast them and use them as a, as a kind of a spice, but would not eat them raw. You would just give those to animals. And so in the story that we're going to learn from, Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. A few days after this, the younger son gathers everything together and goes on a journey into a distant country. And there he squanders his estate with loose living. Jesus said after he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens in that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses... He said to himself, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread to eat? And I'm dying here with hunger. So I'll get up and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and and kissed him. And he said to his father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a a ring on his hand and, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost who has been found, and they began to celebrate. But the older brother, the older son, he was out in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring about what this could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the the fattened calf. And we're celebrating. Now you know the story. But look at what the brother said in chapter 15. In verse 28 what happened. The father is celebrating. Why? Because he's received him back home safe and sound, but the brother, what, 
became angry in verse 28. The brother became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him in verse 29. The father said to his son, look, so many years I've been, he said to his father, for so many years I've been serving you, never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, and the father saw his son coming home, the servant said, your brother has come home. But the older brother said to the father, this son of yours, he's not my brother. The son of yours, the son of yours, who's devoured your wealth with prostitutes. When he came, you killed the fattened calf for him. In this story, we have illustrated two ways money makes life worse if we allow it to. Two times when people in their existence on this planet can allow the possession of wealth, the the possession of money to hurt and create hurts and actually make life worse than it would have been otherwise. And the first one is what you see on the screen. When you waste money on sinful living, on doing wrong things instead of investing it for godly purposes. That's one of the times that the possession of money and how you use it will bring hurt into your life and make your life worse. This young son chose to ask for his inheritance because he said, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I want freedom. I want the freedom to go where I want to go, live the way I want to live, do what I want to do, make my own choices. And if I just have enough money, I can do anything. So he had a plan. Ask his father for his inheritance early, for his portion of the estate. And as soon as he got the money, what did he do? He left home. He went into a a distant country. It was a Gentile country because they raised swine there. He got a job on a pig farm. So he completely left Palestine, left Jewish areas, and went into a Gentile country and began living it up, having a blast. The Bible says that he squandered his estate on loose living, reckless living. We learn later in the story that prostitutes were a part of it. So he said, I'm going to do my own thing. All the, the, the heritage I've received, the values that my family has taught me, I'm abandoning all of that. I'm going to do what I want, and this money is enabling me to do some things and have some fun I've never done and never had before in my life. But he was short-sighted. He had no plan for the future. He said, I'm I'm going to have fun now. I have resources. I'm going to enjoy it now. And he had fun now, used it to sin, but eventually what happened? It ran out. He had no appreciation for the future, no appreciation for the hard work of his father to accumulate that wealth, and he had no time for God. See, when you're short-sighted, And you focus just on having fun now. You focus on using the resources of your life, whether it's your money, whether it's your your talents, whether it's your toys, your boats, your lake house, your beach house, your shotgun, 
your membership in the hunting club, whatever it is, those things that are okay and good in and of themselves, but when you allow those to say to you, all I'm going to focus on right now is doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, having fun the way I want to do it, and you even do it in such a way that you start doing wrong things, sinful things, things that God wouldn't approve, things that your family would not approve, you're headed for trouble. Because that fun is fun, but it doesn't last. It's for a season. It's for a moment. In the story Jesus told, his resources ran out. Eventually, he was out of money. And when he was out of money, the fun stopped. And when the money ran out, notice this. He found himself in a crisis. He was broke. There was a severe famine. The Bible says he began to be impoverished. Not only was he out of money, but his situation was getting worse. He was getting deeper and deeper in the hole. And so he takes a job that he hated that no self-respecting Jew would take, feeding swine, and he was so hungry, so impoverished, he was willing to eat those pods that were being fed to the pigs. See, wrong living wrong living, sinful living, wrong choices that that money enables you to make eventually will always result in a crisis. It may take a few months, it may take a few years, it may even take a few decades, but eventually when you live wrong and you use the resources God has blessed you with to enable you to make wrong choices and do wrong things, eventually you will find yourself in a crisis. It always ends up there. Wrong living and using money to do wrong things always puts you in a hole, always puts you in a crisis. And here's the real kicker. When you find yourself in a crisis because you've been living wrong and making sinful choices and using your money and other resources to do it, when you find yourself in that crisis, you're never ready for it. You're never ready for it. You're never prepared for it. You're not ready. I want you to notice what he lost. He lost a lot of money. And once it was gone, it was gone. He also lost some time. He lost some years in his life. And those two things are similar. Once you spend them, they're gone. You don't get them back. Teenagers and young adults, when you waste those years, you don't get them back. You waste your 20s. You don't ever get it back. When they're gone, they're gone and they're always forever gone. All you have is today and perhaps tomorrow. But once it's gone, it's gone. Time is a gift from God. Every day of life is a gift from God. Your years on this earth are a gift from God. Your teenage years, your 20s, those are gifts from God. Your 70s, that's a gift from God. The resources you have in life. See that banner back there on the left? Back wall, resource, investment, all the resources we have are gifts of God. But when you spend them, they're gone. You and I are to invest our years and invest our resources in doing the right things, 
good things, godly things. I'm to spend my years and my days doing what God would have me do. I'm to use the resources of my life, including my money, investing in godly purposes, not ungodly ones, because when I choose to do otherwise, I'm headed for a crisis, and that will in the end make my life worse. Just because you have money does not mean your life will be better. You could be enticed to live in such a way that you actually make your life worse. But there's a second illustration in this story of how money can hurt and make life worse. When you choose it, when you choose money over good relationships with people, especially those in your family. And that happens all the time. I've seen it. Many of you have seen it. People choosing money over family. People choosing money over healthy relationships. This young son comes to his father and he asks for the inheritance early. and He planned from the beginning to do what he did. That's the reason it says not many days after this he he went on a long journey to a, a distant country. It had been his plan the whole time once he got his hand on that money to leave home. He wanted his freedom, get as far away from mom and dad, get as far away from home as possible. And notice that he removed himself from his family physically, but he also removed himself from his family emotionally. He removed himself from his family morally. He removed himself from his family spiritually. In every way he could, he got away. The banner hanging over here on this wall, one of our eight passions is Christ-centered home because God wants us to live in such a way that family matters, that your family matters, that relationships matter, that people matter. But this young man decided to live in a totally different manner. He wanted to break himself from all those previous attachments and do his own thing. And in the process, he not only wasted the money that his family had given him, but he broke his relationships with them. He broke his relationships with the very people who loved him more than anyone else on this planet. What about all of his new friends in that distant country? What about all the new relationships he made while living in sin, while wasting his money on prostitutes? What about all the new relationships that, 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 that were formed when he wasn't listening to God and when he was ignoring the things God was trying to say to him? What about all those people? What about all those friends? The Bible says that when he had spent everything, And that severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished, to be worse off. That's when he went out and got a job feeding pigs. But there's a line in that verse. It says, And no one was giving anything to him. And no one was giving anything to him. No one was giving anything to him. Where were those friends? 
Where were the buddies who partied with him? Who, where were the buddies who cheered him on in his disobedience to the things of Christ? Where were his buddies who told him his parents were old-fashioned and, and he didn't need the church and he, he didn't need God and he didn't need Jesus? Just have fun. You're young. you got plenty of time. Where were those friends when everything was gone and he was at the lowest point of need in his life? They weren't there. They weren't there. We've seen that happen over and over in people's lives. But what about his family? What about his flesh and blood? The father had missed him. Been looking for him. Wanted him home. There are broken, there, there, there are grandparents and parents in this room with broken hearts right now because of a wayward child, a wayward grandchild. What about the older brother? Became angry. Lost respect for his younger brother. Did not welcome him home. Didn't want anything to do with him. Did not even consider him his brother any longer. This son of yours? The servant says to him, your brother has come. And your father's excited. He's having a party. He's celebrating because he's come home safe and sound. Your brother. But the older brother said, this son of yours. And so the relationship with his brother was destroyed. What about the young man himself? I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of the hired men. Just give me a job. There are young people in church today who don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy of their family. They don't feel worthy of the church. They don't feel worthy of Jesus. And because they don't feel worthy, they keep making worse and worse decisions because they don't know how to change the cycle. And sometimes without meaning to, we who love them make it worse because we don't know how to communicate to them when they feel so unworthy that we actually love them. He felt unworthy. That's what sin does to you. Young people, when you make the choice to invest your life and your money and your resources in sinful living instead of godly purposes, there will be a crisis in your life and at some point you will feel so unworthy and so ashamed. Here's all these conflicting emotions a son feeling unworthy, or a brother who's angry and wants nothing to do with his baby brother, and a father who's heartbroken. And there are homes in this church, homes represented in this room this morning, who have all those emotions and so many others churning, churning, churning every day at that house. It's where people live. It's where some of you live. 
And it all started because of one brother's attitude about and decisions made when it came to money. And then it got worse because of the older brother's attitude and decision about money that this, in the end, would matter more than his baby brother. I've seen so many families torn apart through scenarios like the one Jesus described in this story. Your family might be going through it right now. If you're the older brother, I want you to to hear something. You're the one disappointed in how another member of your family is living the decisions they've made. The older brother was right in all the complaints he had against his baby brother. The baby brother had messed up royally. And so all the complaints about the baby brother were right. And he was under no obligation to continue supporting his baby brother's sinful living. But in the end, in the end, relationships matter more than our sense of being right. We can choose to hold on to bitterness and resentment. And over time, that bitterness and resentment will isolate us, harden us, eat away at us, and ruin us. We can hold on to the bitterness and miss out on the possibility of reconciliation and love and and people and family. Or as the older brother who's been hurt, you can choose love, reconciliation, and forgiveness. And reconciliation may require on your part, on the part of the older brother, it may require absorbing some hurt, absorbing some pain, absorbing some disappointment. It may even require absorbing some financial loss. Because if the only way you're going to have a relationship with the one who's hurt you is to have them go back and undo everything they've done, that's not possible. On the cross, Jesus absorbed my sin, absorbed your sin, absorbed our hell. And aren't you thankful he did? That's what he asked of us when he says, forgive those who sin against you. Sometimes you have to absorb. You can't forgive without a willingness to absorb some stuff. If you're the younger brother who's messed up and let everybody down, notice how the father reacted. Saw the son coming and felt compassion for him. And this old man ran and embraced him and kissed him. And in the original language, it's it's the picture of him kissing him all over his neck and face. He's so happy to see his boy who's home safe and sound. He's not dead. 
Put the robe on him, a robe for honored guests. Put the ring on his hand, the symbol of the family's authority. You're not a servant. You're not an employee. You're my son. Put sandals on his feet because only the poorest of the poor and slaves went around barefoot, and you're neither of those. You're my boy. Kill that fattened calf. We're having a party. That's how the father felt. And brothers and sisters, if you're that younger son who's messed up, screwed up, hurt so many people, God loves you. And Jesus ran from heaven to the cross for you. He will embrace you in his arms. He will hug you. He will welcome you. He will love you. He will heal you. That's how God feels about you. He'll welcome you, feel, forgive you, restore you, heal you. But what do you do? What do you do if you're the younger son? What this one did, what did he do? He came to his senses. you got to come to your senses. You got to stop living in the shame. You got to stop making excuses. You got to stop blaming everybody else. You got to stop running away. You need to come to your senses and come to Jesus. Come to your senses and come home. You need to come to your senses and genuinely repent of the sin in your life and say, Father, I messed up. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in the sight of other people. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Forgive me. And he will. you got to come home to Jesus. It's just not about the money. You may not have a lot of money. But you know, you don't have to have a lot of money to make decisions with money and your resources and your time to make a mess of things. You can do it on a little bit. And some of you have done it on a little bit, haven't you? So when we sing this song of invitation, I'm inviting you to come home to Jesus. I'm inviting you to run down this aisle. I mean run down this aisle and get on your face before God and say, God, I'm coming home. Come on, these pastors down here and say, I'm coming to Jesus today and I need forgiveness. And then you may need to go to some people in your family just like this young son went to his father. And you need to say to those in your family, I was wrong and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then you may be the older brother who's got an honest list of complaints. But when that one comes home in genuine repentance, you may have to absorb some stuff and forgive. But I'll tell you something. In the end, relationships are worth it. Love is worth it. People are worth it. God said, you are worth it. God said, you are worth it. Now do like I did, God says.